Welcome to the Hero Hut Podcast, bringing you stories of service. Today we're talking with Brandon Mixon from the Veterans Community Project in Kansas City. But before we get to that, I wanted to highlight an upcoming event for the Hero Hut at the Club Car Championship Golf Tournament in Savannah, Georgia. So if you're in the area and planning to attend, then stop by our military-exclusive hospitality tent on the 17th green. Now, without further ado, here's your host, Jacob Hagstrom. I'm joined by Brandon Mixon, who is a specialist in the U.S. Army, where he served from 2009 to 2013 in the 82nd Airborne Division. Today, Brandon is the Chief Project Officer for the Veterans Community Project. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Really excited to kind of tell you guys my story. Awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So let's start all the way back at the very beginning when you're, you have this idea, you want to join the military. Where were you? What year was it? Uh, what was going on in your life when you just made that decision to join the army? Yeah. So, um, probably like a lot of us, right. Growing up, man, uh, my family was educators and, um, in parents are divorced. So, you know, I had ADD, I had a learning disability. I had kind of the, the normal, you know, symptoms of a lot of kids. Right. Mm -hmm. and um, just kind of felt different kind of growing up, right? You know, always kind of felt like I I wanted a family, not that my parents didn't care about me, but, you know, it was kind of one of those things, like, I'm not like them, right? So I kind of grew up that way and always wondered, like, well, what is a family like? Um, Where were you growing up at the time? So Kansas City, Missouri, definitely, yeah. So from Kansas City, Missouri, uh, born and raised, and, uh, dude, met a chick, right? Um, Like all of us do in high school. Um, Thought I was in love. Um, next thing you know, um, I actually met her. I was a DJ at a skating rink. A lot of people actually make fun of me for being a DJ at a skating rink, right? I feel like that, that's what adds to my coolness level, right? Like, sure. I don't know. I think I got street cred. But anyways, um, no, met this girl, kind of fell in love, right? High school sweethearts. Um, I, dude, I was infatuated, right? So quit pretty much all the sports. Um, stopped going to work, right? And that's that's really bad. Next thing you know, I end up getting this chick knocked up. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, my fiance at the time. So uh, my parents ended up kicking me out of the house, you know, living on my own. I was like, man, I I, I need to do something, right? I'm going to have this family, like, but I need a bigger family. Like, I need somebody to support me, right? So I looked at actually originally joining the Air Force. Um, I wanted to do the high school to flight school. And uh, took the ASAP, I mean, it was a possibility. Well, going through the whole process at MEPS, um, I found out when I was taking tests that I was dark color, colorblind. And I had no clue, like my whole life, that I was dark color, colorblind. So they're like, hey, sorry, you can't be a pilot. Um, and actually, the Air Force is not even interested in you anymore. And so I'm like, all right, like, whatever. So Just because of the uh, colorblindness? Yeah, because like, of the colorblindness. Allowed in there. You know, no. 09, I feel like it was really hard to get into stuff in 09 uh, for whatever reason. So right. I went over to uh, the Army recruiter, and the Army recruiter is like, dude, as up scores, yada, yada. He's like, dude, we could get you to be a, a crew chief. He's like, we can get you a flight waiver with colorblindness. And I'm like, crew chief? He's like, yeah, you'd start off as a helicopter mechanic. And, um, you know, if you do really good, you can fly in helicopters. And I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know how that works because I can't fly them, but yet you want me to work on them? Like, I'm not not quite sure, but you know, I was going down. I'm like, yeah, of course that sounds cool. And, uh, with that being said, he was like, also, I can offer you a quick ship date so you can leave in two weeks. And I was like, bam, ready to go. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, like, I don't know the way the army recruiter made me feel. I was like, dude, everything's going to be all right. Like, I don't know. It's hard to explain to people like, dude, it's just like, everything's going to be fixed. Yeah. Um, 
from there, you know, uh, growing up, my parents always like threatened me with the military. Like, if you're bad, we're going to make you join the military, yada, yada, yada. And I told my parents, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm doing something in my life. I'm joining the military. And they're like, oh, son, we're so proud of you. You know, kind of the whole nine. And uh, so they really supported your decision. Yeah. Yeah. I know. They're like, we're so proud of you. Keep in mind, I grew up in a household that like we never had guns, like guns are bad. Like, uh, so I was like, I had no clue what I was in for. Like, yeah, my dad. Sorry, had anyone in your family been in the military? So my uh, dad's dad uh, was in the Air Force. He actually was in charge of um, like a lot of, uh, oh, what do they call it? Um, like the family artists, the FRG groups. Like he did like a lot of the softball tournaments and stuff like that. But um, my dad had really had nothing to do with him. You know, it's like one of those things like I did. I've never met my grandpa. I didn't know much about him. My dad kind of went to the complete opposite side of the military. And I think hated the military for the longest. But, you know, mm-hmm. it was one of those those situations did you ever have uh, conversations with them about what it was going to be like or any of those family stories that got passed down to you no um never like i said uh i didn't even know like my grandpa was even in the military until i think my dad was like i'm so proud of you did you know my dad was in the military like it was one of those things that obviously you know something traumatic had maybe happened or whatever um again i never met my grandpa he just told me my dad passed my dad always told me your grandpa passed away or whatever right Mm -hmm. so there was, um, you know, I uh, thought I was joining the military for this family and then for this, this, this woman and, and uh, soon to be, you know, future kid, right? Like I got to be an adult and do great things. Um, joined the military. They sent me to uh, uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. So uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky in, in August, right? Uh, some of you could, could imagine was, Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. That was definitely a wake-up call. Um, I tell people I've never cried so much in my life. Here, I'm this 18-year-old kid thinking I'm like, excuse my language, a hard-ass, right? But like, yeah. dude, never experienced Dude, I've never cried so much in my life. So no, I was in basic training. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, it was crazy. Well, in my first initial, like, you know, when you fly out on the the, uh, the aircraft, you know, you land at Louisville Airport, right? They get you off of the Louisville Airport, and they're like, okay, you need to go to the Army you know, collection or they take everybody and I'm sitting there and there's kids crying and I'm like, okay, this is weird. And the kid's like, don't do it. Don't join the military. Don't do it. Right. Uh And then I see this, this E5 coming out yelling at these kids saying, you guys are POSs. You guys went AWOL, yada, yada, yada. So like, this is my first initial. I'm like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Right. Like I'm, again, I'm 18, like some semi small town boy that like ever the world revolved him. And now these kids are crying, you know, obviously they're older than I was. And I'm like, Oh shit. So like, I'm on the phone to like my mom, like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. I can't do this. Come get me. Like I'm, I'm bitching out. I'm sorry. I can't do this. You know? Yeah. Uh, but the, the, if I was like, come on in here, man, you know, get some food, you know, like, that, that was the point right there. I should have been like, oh, shit, he's offering me food? Like, what's up? You know? <laughs> that's actually the weight of my heart. So, that's how I was from <laughs> Somehow so, you know. Uh, you know, from there, you're getting on the bus. You're going to Fort Knox. And next thing you know, there's a dude, I swear it was like midnight, that that's um, like, all right, everybody off the bus. And you're going to this room. And then, you know, like a lot of us military, it's like a hell week starts, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, from there, uh, finally get uh, into my company. Um yeah, to get my one phone call, right? So one phone call, I'm like, all right, I got to call my chick, tell her like I'm here and I'm proud of her. You know, ring, 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 then answer. I'm like, all right, I'll try one more time. Ring, ring, ring. Dude, the this dude picks up and I was like, what's up, Brandon? And I was like, hey, is this is this John? He's like, yeah, what's up, dude? Uh, by the way, Jordan doesn't want to talk to you. 
And I'm like, what do you mean? She's my fiance. Like, we're having a kid. Like, what do you mean she's not talking to me? Mm-hmm. She wants nothing to do with you and just hung up. And I'm like, keep in mind, like, that's on one phone call in the military. Like, yeah. What the? F-? So I'm like, what the F? Yeah. And so from there, I was like, what? You know, uh, they didn't let me have any other phone calls. Well, the church that Sunday, you know, uh, they're like, all right, you know, all the Mormons, uh, they got to go to their, you know, their certain church and everybody else went to another church. And I just hung out because I didn't belong to anything special. Right. Well, the Mormons came back and um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you guys a story. So I uh, came back and they, were, they had these sheets of paper with emails on it. Right. And um I'm like, shoot, I need to do this. Like, I, I need to contact my future fiance and like figure out what the heck's going on. And so the next week, you're like, I, I got to go to church so I can say, I went to that. church yeah. with the Mormons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you just, you got to do what you got to do, man. You yeah. can't you hate the hustle. Totally. So um, I sent the email out and dude, really excited because I'm like, dude, somebody's going to reply to me. Keep in mind, like, I didn't, I didn't talk to my parents. Like, my one focus was contacting her. Mm-hmm. She ends up sitting back in the email. Um, I'm sorry I had to do it. Um, and I'm like, kind of reading through the letter, like, what, what are you talking about? Um, she ended up having an abortion. Like her mom forced to have an abortion and she's like, I'm sorry, but I also don't want to be with you. And so like, to me, like right then and there, and I'm like, I joined the military for this particular reason. And now I have nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's a lot to hit you while you're at basic training. Yeah, dude. Uh, dude, I was a wreck. And what picked me up off the ground was my battle buddies. You know, mm. you're there. I'm in the worst. Dude, I, it's hard to explain to people. Like, dude, you're in the worst part of your life. Getting yelled at. Getting smoked. Getting lockers thrown around. Beds flipped. Here, like, I'm not good enough for that. Here, I'm not good enough for her. Here, I'm not good enough. Like, dude. And I was just really, really, really beat down. I was like, I can't do this anymore, right? Long story short, um, once my platoon sergeant had found out actually what happened, he wanted me to just to go talk to the counselor. I went to talk with the counselor. Um, they actually let me call my parents and explain to my parents what happened. And so what was really neat from that is, is my, my mom actually wrote me every single day. Um, wow. So that's what you know, helped me kind of get through that. Yeah. Um, but also, like I said, I felt finally from once kind of felt that family um, at basic and, and that brotherhood, the kind of old nine. Um, mm-hmm. From there, got stationed out of uh, Fort Eustis, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, for my training. Right, my your uh, AIT. Yeah, AIT. Yes, the word. Did any of your battle buddies from Basic join you in AIT? Um, I had one guy, um, yeah. and we ended up getting split up. I don't know how that happens, but we ended up getting split up. Um, AIT was a completely different monster, right? You know, because in Basic, you know, I was a pretty cut kid during high school and through <laughs> Basic. Like I was. I wrestled in high school. I did track and cross country. So I was in great shape, but in basic, like I could never do enough push-ups. I could never do enough sit-ups. Like I could not be fast enough in the mile. And so like, I went to IIT thinking like, dude, I, I barely even failed the, the APFT in, in basic. How am I going to do it? You know, uh, AIT, um, got to AIT. And the first thing they did was obviously put us in a room and then they do the APFT. Well, um, ended up just killing the APFT. I'm like, what? I ended up getting what's called gold stat. Uh, for a lot of us in the military, which is pretty much you can leave on the weekends and the whole nine, everybody else that I was with got red stat because they are, couldn't pass the, you know, the run and all this other stuff. And so like at AIT was like, man, Coast City for me, because I'm like, I'm here. I was so used to like being locked down the whole nine. And I think it was like on Friday they tested us and I had gotten gold set. So that Saturday they're like, yeah, you can go out and do whatever you want. And I'm like, what life? Yeah. Like, yeah. dude, <laughs> loving it. Um how do you think, how do you explain the, 
improvement in the PT test from basic to AIT? Do you think you were like more relaxed or do you think the training in basic had built up your uh, like muscles during that training or what do you think happened? I would say it was really in shape just in, in, in basic, their whole mentality is are breaking you down or breaking you down or breaking you down. And so, he, you know, I'd get like 42 and he'd keep going 42, 42, 42. And I'm like, I'm going all the way down. Like I'm touching my chest. Like what is right. going on? Yeah. And then when you get to AIT, obviously a lot of those instructors are, you know, usually overweight or whatever. Like that's not kind of, especially in aviation, right? I'm in aviation and instructors are completely different than the basic instructors. And so, dude, I was just knocking them out. The dude wasn't even looking at me. He's like, all right, you're good. You're good. You can get up. And I'm like, what? Like yeah. I still got a minute left. Like what's going on? So dude, a completely change of pace, a completely different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was uh, AIT. Dude, loved AIT. I really shined. Um, Does anything stand out from your AIT training? Was there any kind of skill that you were really proud of uh, accomplishing during that time? It was actually um, the top of my class. Um, So kind of growing up, I've always was into cars and stuff, right? And working with my hands. And that really shined um, at AIT. Like obviously like my, my instructor, not my instructor, but my, my guy that, uh, uh, recruiter, I guess is the right word, um, really hooked me up because I felt like everybody in AIT was just, I hate to say this, like idiots, mm-hmm. like a lot of them, I never worked on stuff before. And I'm like, how are you going to not work on anything, but come and try to work on helicopters? Like this doesn't even make sense to me. Right. Right. Like, yeah. The hardest thing was just, you know, how they wanted us to put the the stuff in the log books on, okay, Hey, I took this part off. I need to put this part back on. Like that was like the hardest part. And that wasn't even that hard. It's like, okay, I took fairing off and stall fairing, you know, like. So uh, were you working on actual aircraft then, or was it like you would work on a piece of the aircraft or how did that work? So AIT, um, we were kind of, we'd go into sections. So my MOS was a 15 Tango, um, which is actually uh, an all around Blackhawk mechanic. So I wasn't specialized on avionics. I wasn't specialized in, in engines or power plane or anything like that. I kind of had a general dynamics of everything. Um, and I really liked it because I knew enough to kind of be dangerous with anything. Um, so I would say, no, like there was nothing really hard for me. Uh, but I've learned kind of like all gym for general aviation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from there, uh, met, met this chick on Facebook. She commented on my tattoo that, by the way, I was an idiot and got an AIT. You're not supposed to get any tattoos at AIT. I had gotten the shenanigans smoked out of me for this tattoo. <laughs> it said freedom on the back of my arm, right? Yeah. And here I am in Virginia Beach, right? Um, which is a horrible place to get a tattoo. It didn't even, I think he didn't even spell freedom right or something, right? <laughs> no, he did, but it was actually like wrong font and stuff. It, it was like, you know, large to small. So like my parents still make fun of me for saying freedom, you know, like anyways, yeah. uh, I was like, that wasn't worth it. Um, so anyways, there I am, uh, met this girl online, end up coming home, you know, second girl I've ever been in my life. I'm like, oh my God, another girl like puts out and likes me. I got to marry this chick, right? Mm-hmm. So we kept in contact. Um, I'm getting ready to graduate uh, AIT and get my orders. You know, uh, there was 23 people in my class and everybody but me got orders to Korea. I got, wow. I got orders to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Nice. So Were you happy uh, about that or did you want to go to Korea? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know. I was kind of down for anything. I mean, like, I'm like, I don't have anything to lose. Like at yeah. this point, like military is going to be everything to me. It's going to be my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, got, got, uh, everybody hated me of course, because I'm like the one dude that got stateside that everybody else had like family and stuff. And 
Yeah. When I was in Korea was kind of an unpopular post and I'm not really sure why I was there for a year uh, at the end of my time in the army and I really enjoyed it, but I, I could sense that people like didn't want to go there for, uh, for any number of reasons. But so you were, you were excited to go to Fort Bragg. Oh, I was like absolutely excited to Fort Bragg. You know, here I'm like, I'm a badass, right? You know, like, obviously I killed my PT test. I'm like, I'm going to be a ranger. I'm going to be like airborne. I'm going to be like all those things. Right. You know, I'm just, obviously we call those individuals huh? and I was definitely like that hook kid, like yeah. definitely high speed, low drag is definitely how I felt kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, got to Fort Bragg, like loved it, you know, drove myself there. Um, yeah, I got stationed with, um, it would have been a Delta company 282. Mm-hmm. So 2nd to 82nd, uh, aviation regiment, um, got stationed with Delta company. But when I had got there, um, they were on rear, I was, had to be on rear D because they were about, uh, four months left of their deployment. Where so were they? Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Um, yeah. RC East, uh, definitely mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. So during that time, um, because it was kind of a high speed load drag. So again, it, like in the military, everything's about PT scores. Uh, PT was not an issue for me. So they actually threw me on, um, the 82nd, uh, uh funeral honors team essentially. Right. Which is so cool. I, again, I kind of in my own hours, you know, they're like, all right, let's go do PT and play football. Right. Like, obviously it's a really big deal to be on honors, you know? Um, and so that was cool. So I spent those four months doing honors. Um, again, I was, I thought I was the shit, man. Like, yeah. you know, being, what, at that point in time, 19 years old, man, doing honors with right. the 82nd, wearing that maroon beret, like thought I was everything. Did you have a lot of funerals that you had to serve at? Um, nothing that like, like hits me right away. Right. I actually ended up becoming on funeral details again. That's actually kind of what leads into my story with VCP and the whole nine, sure. but yeah, uh, nothing that I can remember like off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is, so the whole time I was on funeral detail, they actually threw me, um, into the like, Hey, we're going to send you to jump school. Right. And, um, during this time, this chick that I was talking back in Kansas city, who was like, Hey, I'm going to graduate. I want to move down there with you. And I told my platoon sergeant, you know, Hey, um, I can't go to airborne school. Cause I want the chick to come down. I'm going to marry her. And he's like, yeah, we'll see if that happens or whatever. Right. And what does he do? He sends me to airborne school two weeks out. Like before wow. we get married airborne yeah. school, four weeks. Right. Like right. that's work. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, like whatever. I'll just go to airborne school. I'll knock it out real quick. Um, end up going down to airborne school. Again, that was Billy badass. Um, first week, obviously past the first week, dude, flying colors, no issues at all. Well, yeah. second like I feel like they do PT tests with you every week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, the second week, um, that's when my this girl is like, "Hey, I'm going to compete with you. I'm going to fly down." And I'm like, "I'm not there." And she's like, "Well, I already told my mom I'm going to live with you. I have nowhere to go." And so I'm like, "Shit! Like, what do I do? Like, it's really hard to fail out of airborne school, right?" Yeah. But what I ended up doing is filling my PT test, and they're like, "All right." Um, they pull me back, and I was like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "Look, I-, I have to go back home. I have to get this chick." You know, like to me, I hate to say this, like the female anatomy was more important than obviously airborne school. Right. Yeah. So I mean, airborne school is going to be there later too. Right. right. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought. Like looking back now, I'm an idiot. I should have just finished, but, um, they're like, well, um, we recommend you not do that. Look, you have two more weeks essentially of airborne school. Like it's not that hard. You've already done the hard stuff. Like it's just now at this point, it's, you got to get your jumps and just be done with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whatever. Well, me being an idiot asshole, um, I felt another PT, another PT test. And they're like, intentionally, you home. Yeah. 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 And looking back now, I'm an 
I, why didn't I do that? I should have just stuck out the other week, got my F and airborne wings. So I, you know, whatever it is with this. Yeah. So going back to Fort Bragg, nobody really knew what transpired. They're just like, Oh, um, you hurt yourself or whatever. I never told anybody the truth, you know? So I'm there for about a week. Um, the chick comes, flies down, moves in the barracks with me. Well, you know, being a young and dumb private, I was like, do you stay in the barracks with me? No big deal. <laughs> well, of course, like the second day she's there, um, we end up deciding to go get married at the JP. We didn't tell anybody. We're like, who, who, who whatever. It is what it yeah. is. Well, and, did you know you were going to move out of the barracks if you got married? You know, as a lot of soldiers say, there's a lot of perks to being married in the military. I, I'm not either going to confirm or deny that those <laughs> perks may have really enticed my, my way of looking at the military and to get out of the shitty barracks. Sure. But, you know, hey, stuff happens. Yeah. So, bullshit, there I was, getting married, right? Um, coming back, uh, we ended up having a marriage certificate at that time, like the same day. Literally the next day, they're like, oh, 400 formation outside. So, I'm like, oh, shit, you know? So, getting out of bed, she's still in bed. And they're like, barracks inspection. And I'm like, no, no. Like, I'm like, I have myself on text to my neighbor. I'm like, hey, dude, can she come stay with you? Because he was in a different unit, right? Right. And not answering. And so I text her. I said, you got to go hide in the shower now. Um, and, I, dude, I'm like freaking out because you hear these stories about hookers being in the barracks and, like, I don't know, dead people and shit. You know, like the craziest stories happen in the barracks, right? Right. And so I'm like, great. Like, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to fuck up my opportunity to go to flight school and do all this other stuff, right? There you go. He opens the door, walks in, everything looks clean. And he's like, all right, your, your place looks nice. Mixon, we just need to check out the bathroom. Where do you think she was hiding? In the shower, right? Dude, he opens up the shower. The dude, this is my first sergeant, right? He jumps back, like, I swear, 100 feet. And, like, pretty much swings at her. Because he's, he's like, what the hell? Like, it just scared the shenanigans out of him, right? Yeah. And so, um, dude, I was getting the shit smoked out of me. I'm crying. I'm like, I'm sorry, first sergeant. I'm sorry, right? You know? Um from there he he was more mad at me uh he's like come out in the hallway talk to me and he was like who is she i'm like that's my wife and he's like you know what like it's i'm pissed at you and i'm like well, why are you pissed at me he's like because you owe her more respect than to be in the barracks with all these other he said dicks you know mm -hmm. like you owe her a nice place and house and he's like i'm gonna put you on emergency leave you guys are gonna go get a house you guys are gonna go get your furniture and we're gonna do this the right way right which dude i have a shit ton of respect for him to say that and really take care of the soldier though you know yeah like it was a really big deal to me because at that point in time like you know like i've never had that you know i was just yeah right so um yeah um from there when i came back uh, everybody was already back from afghanistan um they pretty much put everybody it's hard to explain like in delta unit and then they go by pt scores and stuff like that uh, i killed it with pt scores again and they're like mixing you're going to a flight unit so i uh, went to a bravo company 282 loved it man loved those guys really made friends with them so what was the difference between the delta and the bravo so Delta Company is like an AVM unit. Um, so all they do is they work on the aircrafts. Like that's okay. all they do. Um, mm -hmm. Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, what they do is they actually are the crew chiefs, right? Um, and so they actually get to fly on the aircrafts and kind of do that whole thing. Okay. Um, so got thrown right into a flight unit. Uh, everybody liked me, I felt, because again, I'm, I'm one of the youngest kids, right? Um, so obviously I had to make the coffee every morning and um, the platoon sergeant kind of took me under his wing and I'm like, all right, you know, nobody fuck with Nixon. You know, that's that's my guy. You know, I was the dude that was like, uh, you know, you got to hold the platoon sergeant's pocket. So I was like the dude holding the platoon sergeant's pocket, right? Like right. nobody can touch this motherfucker, you know? Yeah. like. How uh, many people are in anyway. the flight crew? 
Um, so that are in my position, like crew chief wise, I mm -hmm. think there's about 12 of us. Okay. And so what they do, um, about halfway through getting ready to deployment, they'll actually throw door gunners in with us. So there's 12 of us and then they'll bring another, like, you know, 12 door gunners in that are, are different, uh, uh MOSs mm -hmm. and that's kind of the air crew. Right. And so obviously, you know, flew, um, you know, got my RL once. That means I can fly day, night, kind of whatever, um, on the Blackhawks dude loved it. Like. To me, I had the cakest career in life, everything uh, of aviation. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, boots on blouse. You didn't have to shave a lot. Nobody got on me for shaving or haircut or anything. Like, dude, like. So it was a little more relaxed it. than, like, if you were in an inf infantry platoon in, in the 82nd. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah. Again, I thought I was, like, special forces or something, dude. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, everybody loved me uh dude loved it um got promoted fast in there uh from a promotion one of the i think the coolest things that ever happened to me other than you know obviously getting hit in the chest a hundred times because that's what everybody does you know what the deals um is when they they hogtied me and then threw me in a trash can and then they filled it with sand because you know being in north carolina they're sand there right and then they put water in it and so yeah. i'm just like sitting there and they kept my head above it and they're like all right see you mixing and so literally i talked my one of my friends into like all right can you call my wife and tell her to come pick me up you know but you know as a lot of people promotion like, oh, day. that was like how yeah. they were celebrating your promotion yeah yeah yeah, yeah like a lot of people have been like oh my god that's you know i don't know what they call it hazing or something hazing, i'm like yeah, yeah. no like this makes me more a part of the team right, right. like it's more yeah uh, in artillery units sometimes they would like tie someone to a gun tube and then elevate the gun tube something like yeah that. so this one was in like a barrel they had a bunch of barrels like around the the flight line no so this one is uh, in a uh, trash can okay. so like one of those wheeled trash cans yeah so imagine dude, they were out there with shovels i they hogtied me set me in it so my head's above the trash can they filled mm -hmm. it with sand and yeah. then they put water in it so like dude sand's everywhere and no I still way, didn't have sand in my ass sometimes like i wake up and i'm <laughs> Oh, I got sand in my ass, right? Anyways. Yeah. Uh, so, dude, loved it so much. They actually asked me and said, hey, Mixon, you know, do you want to volunteer to leave early? Because um, we were on the mic models, um, which is kind of like the old 160th birds. But we were the first ones that basically take them over into Afghanistan. And so they're like, hey, uh, do you want to volunteer to go over to Afghanistan early? Fly with the C5 over um, into Rota Spain, Rota Spain to um uh you know uh, sorry uh Bagram airfield mm -hmm. and so i'm like hell yeah so um ended up deploying to afghanistan man um uh, so how long did you have at bragg before you went uh to afghanistan so the time was about i was in route d for about three months they came back and then we were there for like another seven months so mm -hmm. they do like year rotations so we were going up um in the year rotation i left two or three months early Mm -hmm. So what is that? Less than a year, pretty much right. almost. When I got to Bragg, I ended up deploying again. Sure. Um, so little up the birds, man. Flew the C five to Dover, Delaware, Dover, Delaware to Rota, Spain. And for any of you that aren't in Rota, Spain, that was probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. Really, uh, really. The clubs down there. The you know you could get really explicit with the stuff down there, dude. Loved it. Loved every minute of Spain, man. Would you say that was like the favorite journey that the army has sent you on? I would say absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say road to Spain or when I got hurt and they sent me to uh, Launchville, Germany. Germany was really cool as well. Mm -hmm. um, but any of those foreign states, like I just want to go back again. Like to me, uh, some of my best memories are made there. Um, so, yeah, I would say road to the road was awesome. I only spent a night there. It was actually my 21st birthday. So this September 16th of uh 2011 i would say right wow yeah 
um, was spent in route of Spain. Um, so you were able uh, to go out, like you were able to leave the post. Yeah. Well, cause we checked in our firearms, right? Yeah. And what was cool again, feeling like I was Billy badass. I didn't have to carry an AR. I just had a nine. Right. Um, cause obviously being door gunners and stuff like that, we have our two forties and, and stuff like that. But, um, so yeah, got to go out and party that night. Um, man, I, do I tell you about initiation or do I not tell you about initiation? Yeah, I, sure. I mean, how are we doing on time? We're we doing pretty good on we're time. Good. Yeah, we're good. All right. So, all right uh, so no shit there we were right dance club kind of going off the the guys from uh uh the flight unit are like all right mixing you ready you know you're gonna be a mission you're gonna be a, a bravo company caveman and i'm like all right like what's up like, again whatever i could do like this is my family i'm fitting in right like i would do anything for these guys um uh, they're like all right so we take this hour drive out to uh um uh, that's called club o right uh this girl eating a cherry we get there it's like I don't know, like maybe Playboy Mansion-ish is, mm. you know, like gates open up. We're pulling in. There's these bodyguards that had, um, I don't know, like Thompson guns almost. It's I, it's crazy. Anyway, so yeah, outside, yeah, big dudes, them. like these dudes, I swear, are like seven foot five, right? And I'm like, all right, I don't know where you're taking me, but if this is what I got to do, I got to do it. Like worst case scenario, I'm getting my spleen out, right? Like, oh, well, shit happens. So open up the doors and it was like the scene of like triple X, right? You know, when they open up the scene, it's this dance club and, like everybody's kind of doing drugs and everybody's naked kind of thing. Like it opened up and that's what it was. And I was like, okay, I can, whatever I need to do. So, um, all the guys like, dude, mixing, you're going to love this place. I thought it was like some dance club. Right. Well, these girls come up to me and like start grabbing my junk and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay. They're like mixing. You got to take one for the team. Like you gotta, you gotta, you know, read. I'm like, Oh, anyways, we're not going to get too much on that story because I'm yeah, yeah. married to anyway. So, um, you can imagine I had to make sure that I went through the rigmarole to make sure that I was, uh, you well, know, especially cause everyone knows they're about to go to Afghanistan, right? It's kind of like right. one last hurrah before you deploy. Yeah. yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. I yeah. mean, dude, they were, uh, obviously had the crazy dudes that are like, nah, two chicks, one girl or what, you know, whatever. Right. They're like high fiving and shit coming out of there. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, that's a little pushing it, but whatever. Like, I'm not hating on you guys, you know? Right. So that was like kind of the last hurrah. Um, so literally from Road to Spain, um, literally left the next morning. I'm still like kind of hung over, right? Um, so luckily I got to fly because it's quite far from Road to Spain to um Bagram, Afghanistan. So land in uh Bagram, you know, kind of come in and do your your uh what do they call that? Um the steep landing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Scare the you were on like a C-130 at that point and like... C-5. No. C-5 oh, okay. Galaxy. Oh, because you're flying over. those aircraft over. Yeah, we're oh, flying okay. those aircraft over. Got it. So, um, get on the land and I'm like, what's going on? Well, they open up the back door and you're kind of like, I don't see anything because again, it's like effing dark, you know? So, they cut the, the lights on over around the C-5 so they can unload it and stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, the car that actually like, there's like a wheel that pulls all the conics and stuff off the C5. Um, on top of that conix box, there was a, uh, a pair of uh, Kai kids and all of our baggages and stuff. So I'm like, Hey dude, jump up there real quick and throw down our baggages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went up there, was throwing down baggages and one of the baggages, cause you know, they have Velcro on them, caught the Velcro of my sleeve. And when I threw it off, the weight of it actually threw me off the side too. So it's about like a total of, I would say two and a half to three stories, wow. uh, fell off, landed on my left shoulder and my head and um kind of popped up everybody's like dude you okay you okay like what transpired i'm like nah dude i'm, I'm fine right like let's go on 
didn't think anything of it. My shoulders kind of bothering me. Went to the flight doc. Flight doc's like, dude, here's some ibuprofen. Uh, you'll be fine. So didn't think anything of it. Kept flying. But the weight of my my vest, you know, I was my extraction device, uh, my harness and all that stuff was weighing down on my shoulder. And I was like, man, I feel like I keep pulling out of my socket or something. I went to him and he's like, dude, everything looks fine. Um, well, coming to find out, uh, one day I came out of, uh, you know, our, I guess they would call it a chew right in Afghanistan and Bagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Bagram, sorry. I was actually at Fob Shank, Afghanistan at that point. So that's uh, like a little hut, right? The chew is like, yep. Uh, uh, kind of like a little hut with inside of it, uh, built with plywood. Uh, they have rooms kind of marked out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have to have a roommate or anything like that. It was kind of my own room. Um, I went to the flight dock and I started throwing up a lot of blood. Well, what it was is because I was taking so much ibuprofen and stuff like that, that that's what I, was, I thought there's something wrong with me. He's like, dude, it's fine. We just need to get you off of this. Um, I really heard and I was kind of telling my, my platoon sergeant, I'm like, dude, something's not right, man. I've been getting really bad headaches and shoulder. So um, kept flying right. Um, we ended up coming out of fog. Um, I saw some incoming on the right-hand side. Uh, pilot kind of came down a little bit hard. Um, you know, it wasn't like a hard, best way to experience like a hard landing, but it wasn't really. I just forgot to not lock my inertia reels and went into the back of the grenade sump kind of real quick because of how we hit. And I was like, okay, I, I have to, there's something going on, like taking somewhere. So we ended up getting back and um, flight docs know we need to send you to Bagram to see what's going on. And so my platoons are like, hey, pack your stuff. You know, you're going to go there. We're going to see you back in a couple of days. I hope you get better, right? So end up going to Bagram Airfield and then at Bagram Airfield, they're like, dude, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. Um, they don't know what's going on with your shoulder, et cetera. We're going to medevac you. So they took my pretty much when they medevac you, they take pretty much everything, you have your clothes, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they put me on the KC-135. Well, through this whole process, keep in mind, like I have no way to communicate with my platoon sergeant, you know, a lot of those guys. Right. It's just me for my own unit. Now we're getting thrown on a KC-135. Right. Um, on this KC-135 to um Monshul, Germany. Um that that was probably one of the craziest things I feel like I've ever went through because here, you know, I can walk around, right? I just can't move my left shoulder and I'm like almost vomiting the whole time because dude, my head is just killing me. Like yeah. something's obviously going on. So like I'm in this plane with literally all these doctors and stretchers. So like the KC-135 is very open, right? And we're up against, you know, like what you'd see a seat in a, C, uh, a C-130. Like, like I'm like sitting in that seat. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting in that seat and I'm just looking around and all you can see is like these guys with, you know, mess some legs and like, dude, it's, it's probably the craziest. It's even the smells, right? It's like the craziest smell um, I, I could ever explain to anybody. But I was a little used to it and not much though. Cause obviously, you know, being a crew chief on Blackhawks, like we're just literally a taxi service for everything. So I've done, you know, fallen, fallen angel missions. I've done delivered fuel blivets. Uh, at that same time, dude, I was part of um, extortion one seven. Are you guys from extortion one seven? No, that was no. Chinook that went down with the seals. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, like August of that year, um, wow. August, I remember 11th. Um, so we had to pick up a lot of that wreckage and stuff like that. Um, that was based out of our fob. So like, you know, I'm, I'm, semi familiar with the destruction and stuff like right. it's not like phasing me but it's just like a crazy experience right yeah landing in launch germany i'm loading all these guys and they come to me they're like hey this is where we're going to put you up at we need you to see the doctor in the morning ended up coming out they ended up doing a um 
x-ray of my brain and a cat scan um coming to find out i have my c1's been crushed c2's been crushed t3 and t4 have been crushed and a traumatic brain injury and um i had some swelling in my head and that was what was causing the headaches and me being like severely sick shoulder um, i actually dislocated it um but like in the position it wasn't i could still s- sort of move it yeah um so how long like, were you walking around with these injuries in afghanistan before you got medevaced out to germany three months wow three months yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I could use my shoulder, but it was like one of those things, like because the way it did pull it down, I'm like, oh, dude, like oh, I can't right. keep flying, right? I mean, and especially I when you're wearing that body armor and stuff too. It's yeah, like, I can only imagine. Yeah, and you know, like my, you know, like every, you know, the, this is what soldiers do, right? They're like, oh, there's nothing fucking wrong with you, man. Like, you pussy, you know, like, dude, right. it, keep in mind, like I'm the only one, pretty much in the whole unit that like. I'm the one that's never been deployed, right? So they're just looking at me like, oh, you just want to go back home. Like, they don't understand. Like, no, I fucking loved it in Afghanistan. Like, that was everything to me. Like, mm-hmm. the best times I've ever had. Like, the brotherhood. Like I said, everything I've been looking for, that was me in Afghanistan, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, Monshal, Germany, they're like, yeah, we need extensive rehabilitation. I was in Monshal for about a month. And they said, hey, we're not going to send you back to Afghanistan. And I'm like, what? Like, who am I going to tell? They're like, we'll take care of all that um you know we're gonna we're gonna let them know what's going on kind of the whole nine and so i'm just focused on point i'm kind of like shit man like what do i do like i I don't know what to do Mm -hmm. so um while i'm there i actually met two of my pots that i i flew with quite frequently um i ran into them um they actually ended up getting shot down um similar scenario came out of the fog you know a couple rounds went through underneath past the bat plates hit one of them in the head and then one of them in the hand uh luckily they survived it right was that right around fob shank yeah yep right around fob shank so um i was talking with them about the scenario what had happened stuff like that that was like one of my common routes so you know me being a stupid soldier i was kind of like well shit like obviously there's only 12 crew chiefs right and 12 gunners or whatever like was it did they put a door gunner in charge of that side and maybe like he didn't see incoming like what was a snare when i kind of started at that point saying oh man like kind of like blaming myself right i knew like deep down like it wasn't my fault there's nothing i could have done but like that's still those are my pilots right like i wanted to do everything for them i wanted to be there for them right yeah um they sent me back to fort bragg uh, took a, a commercial jet home back to uh fort bragg landed there um they said yep you need extensive rehabilitation um we're gonna throw you in the warrior transition battalion throw me into the wtu the wtu said hey um you know you're not that bad you can still like walk talk kind of do all that stuff um you can actually go back to a rear d unit but just put on like light duty right mm-hmm so I got stationed back with the 82nd uh, cab, the combat air brigade. And um, they said, Hey, Brandon, you know what? Um, you've done funeral detail before do funeral detail for, um, you know, for, for all the units. So I was like, okay, okay that's cool. Like as long as I don't have to like blow the casket kind of the whole nine. Mm-hmm. So um, during that time of going through extensive rehabilitation and cognitive therapy to kind of like, um, uh like words sometimes it's hard for me to like trying to like learn through that and go through these books and learn a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. um the time i was trying to send facebook messages to my buddies that were deployed nobody was answering me like so i'm kind of like shit man like where are all these guys um so i'm doing funeral detail and then um two of the products that i knew really well um i didn't know this at the time so i ended up having to go do a um a funeral in walla walla washington 
and I flew all the way out there and I was going to part of, you know, playing the, the bugle, obviously like it's the little speaker that goes inside doing that. Right. Well, uh, when I got there, everybody was talking about this guy, but then we ended up going to the funeral kind of see what we're doing that and realize it's one of my Apache uh, friends that I had and that, that flew the Apaches. Uh, it was him. And then his co-pilot was like another city. They sent another time to do that. Um, but I remember seeing him at the FRG meeting. I remember seeing his kids and kind of the, the uh, happiness and kind of all that. Well, during the funeral is kind of like when it hit me, um, I remember seeing his wife cry and the flag getting handed to her and his, his son crying. And I kind of hit me like, shit, like I keep seeing death. I keep seeing the aftermath of all this. And like, I kind of started feeling numb from it. Right. That's when I kind of like really just, I don't know, like, it's hard to explain. Like I wasn't really into alcohol or drugs or anything, but it was just kind of numb, man. I just didn't really from there connect with people, I think as, as well. It's cause like, if this is going to keep happening to me, like how do I protect myself from this? Mm-hmm. Did any of so, your friends or family like tell you that they, they thought you had changed or how did you realize that? You know, my wife, you know, cause it was about a year through this whole process of, of um, the WTU. My wife was like, you're changing, you're doing this, you're doing that. And I'm just kind of like, no, you know, I, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and all my, again, my best friends were still deployed. So it was only like my wife, you know, that I was like, oh, you changed. I'm like, no, like I haven't. Like it's right. you, right? Yeah. So um, pretty much doctor came to me. To me, I tell everybody it was like one of the worst, worst days of my life, right? Doctor came to me and said, hey, I hate to do this to you, but we're going to medically retire you. We're going to send you to the med board process. And, you know, I'm in with the, WT, the WTU guys that have been there for two and three years because of their percentages or whatever, you know. So I'm like, okay, so this whole process, they came right back with 80% right off the bat. And here I'm talking to guys that have been there for two or three years, missing legs and shit only come back with 10%. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I better take this shit and get out. Right. Um, I I said, all right, doc, like shoot me straight. Can I stay in the military? And he's like, that's up to you. I'm not going to recommend it. Um, but he's going to be obviously non-deployable because my shoulder, right. I can't bear weight on it. Yeah. So he's like, it's totally up to you. And I'm like, all right. So, so it's mostly the shoulder and not the, uh, the vertebrae. I still yeah. don't have any, like my back, my neck and my, my back sometimes will go numb, but like mm-hmm. that doesn't really bother me that much. I was more at the point in time, just I'm still battling with headaches and shoulder. Mm-hmm. And uh, he explained to me, he's like, okay, imagine something were to happen here in, in the States. Right. And then you got to drag a body body to safety. Cause at that point in time, we're used to kind of throwing them over shoulders and then carrying them. Right. He's like, imagine doing that. Next thing you know, you know, you drop both of you guys and both of you guys end up getting killed. Like, are you cool with that? Right. And again, I've already dealt with a lot of death, you know, at that point I'm like, no, like I don't, I don't want that on me. So, um, came home March 6, 2013, um, was my retirement date and, uh, came home, did really battle depression, really battled with essentially suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, did really thought about taking my life. Um, my wife was like, you changed, you know, my parents are like, Oh, you know, you're just, you're just our little boy. You need to grow up and go get a job. Right. And, um, so that's not it. Well, I was really struggling. And my wife's friend had said, Hey, have you thought about joining the Wounded Warrior Project? So I was like, Whatever, you know, what can hurt? I'll give I'll give it one more shot. I went to this Wounded Warrior Project event and said, uh, well, I was meeting all these vets and all these vets are happy, man. I was just a fucking hateful asshole. And all these guys were happy. And I'm like, dude, we get to they're like, we get to be around other soldiers and have fun and kind of the whole night. And I went, I ran into one of these guys named Chris. And Chris was a really cool dude. And he's like, uh, dude, something that saved my life was, is uh, we got to help veterans. And I'm like, dude, that, that sounds cool. Like, how do I get involved with that? So stayed in, in, in contact with him kind of during this whole process. And I was like, you know what? Um, he was telling me that 
Um, in Kansas City, there was no nonprofit that helped veterans like with housing issues, um, as in like fixing roofs or mowing lawns or trees or whatever the case is. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't know. My dad was talking about heating and cooling or something. I'm like, fuck it. I'll put myself through heating and cooling school. Put my heating and cooling school. Um, uh, you know, started doing free heating and cooling for vets and kept in contact with Chris. Well, Chris called me up one day and was like, hey, man, this was Veterans Day. And said, hey, there's a, a vet that needs housing, right? We need to put him up in a hotel. Can you spare a hundred bucks? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But like, you know, what, why does he need a hundred bucks? Does he qualify for services? Yeah. And that's and why a hotel, him. right? Why yeah. put him up in a hotel? Yeah. Yeah. And then he told me, he's like, well, he's just on with discharge. And I'm like, okay, you can get that shit from the VA. And that's when he told me that a lot of reservists, National Guard, um, don't qualify for veteran services. And that like kind of broke my heart, right? Mm-hmm. During this whole process, um, I did a lot with the Wounded Warrior Project. And the Wounded Warrior Project wanted to recognize me. So I drove down to the St. Louis Rams Stadium and they were going to bring me on the field and give me the football and like do the waving on the field kind of thing right yeah and they asked me to write my bio about you know what was going on in my life like where i got there and i wrote it that i was you know it had essentially i fell and um was in a hard landing and hurt myself kind of the whole nine well the editor had re-edited it and i didn't know that to put that i was in a helicopter accident mm. which is not a good idea but anyway so yeah um, did you feel- look behind me and they're like in a helicopter accident 82nd airborne you know bravo company uh-huh. and i'm like I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, all right, like, okay, I understand you have to re, you know, uh, uh, what's the right rewarded, obviously for civilians. Right. Sure. The next night, like literally, uh, when I was still in St. Louis, um, dude, all my battle buddies that had to play with her, like, fuck you, you piece of shit. Like go hang yourself. Like, dude, all, you're talking about the best friends that I spent a lot of time with. Like all of them are like, you're a liar. I can't believe you do this. You know, um, even the winter word project got involved and they're like, you know, that wasn't cool. And I'm like, guys, like, here's my original that I sent to them. This is what the right. Rams like. I, I, I get it. Like, trust me, I understand what you're saying, but this is, yeah. but again, perception is reality. Totally. And dude, that, that really sprawled me down. Like I thought I was completely worthless. Um, everybody that, again, that like my best friends or family, whatever, like I felt left me, like I had nothing. Right. Did you feel betrayed by that PR person from the Rams? Yeah. I mean, but am I mad at They wouldn't have known. They weren't military. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like as much as I'm yeah. mad at it was more of my They weren't doing it. They weren't like malicious about it, but right. just, they just didn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And it was more of that. My battle buddies that again, have known me for two years and that I deployed with, like they should understand, like in a way I, I feel bad because I never got a chance to talk with them. Like, so they had no clue. They just knew that I, they thought I was faking it, that here I got out of Afghanistan, and next thing you know, I'm medical retired and a, a poster boy for Wounded Warrior Project. Like, so I get, like, what perception is, mm-hmm. you know, but they, they don't know, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of fucking fakers, and they probably don't make it through launch tool, the professional doctors in launch tool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure there's a catch process for that. On top of that, like, they're not going to get these guys out with 80% disability, like, right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. So dude made me fucking feel horrible um mm-hmm. chris called me up and was telling me about this idea that he wanted to create this nonprofit, you know to help veterans it was chris and there's basically five of us told him but all of us kind of had different backgrounds and he was like i'm tired of all these other nonprofits in kansas city um you know only helping certain veterans again there's no nonprofit in the united states at this point in time that helped any veteran Again, we don't care what your discharge status is or what you went through or how old you were like, as mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're my brother or my sister, like we're going to have your back. And that mission really held to me. Again, 
I felt like I was that douchebag on the side of the road that like nobody gave two shits about. And I relayed that same image to myself of being homeless. Right. And not feeling like I'm not even a veteran and here not qualifying for services. I mean, if I decided I was going to go, I could obviously, cause I qualify for services, but right. let's say for whatever the, they're not looking at me as a VA, I go to the VA and they're going to commit suicide. They're just going to turn them away. Cause that's what mm-hmm. they do. Like, I hate yeah. to see that, you know, yeah. like, like, no, fuck that. Like, those aren't brothers and sisters on the street. Like, we're going to do everything we have to save their back. Yeah. And that was kind of the birth of Veterans Community Project. Literally, uh, we mortgaged our houses and, and bought a little piece of land. And that was kind of the start of it, right? Um, my so back you that, and Chris were the ones who started this one? No, there's actually five of us. Okay. Um, kind of where I came in was actually the tiny house, right? Again, mm-hmm. I had this building background with kind of the whole nine. Um, I was responsible for vill- building kind of and designing the very first tiny house, uh, built it in my, my driveway. How we actually got the funding for that is, is um, I was into dirt track cars and hot rods. I sold my, I had a 67 Camaro and a dirt track car. I sold both of those things. And that's actually how I got the initial money to design kind of the inside of the tiny house. Wow. And um and from there, again, I was just like partnered with Chris and Brian and, and Kevin and, and Vinny and Mark. Um, I was the one with the building background, though. Like Brian was a lawyer at the time. Chris had a background in nonprofit. Same with Kevin. Um, and Mark had like a realtor background. And so uh, we launched this idea. The community was like, we fucking love it. They took to it, right? And it was so amazing, yada, yada, yada. Um, next thing you know, um, I'm just trying to figure out kind of where to go from here. Um, it was just a hobby for us. Yeah. And, literally pretty much turned into a full-time job overnight um it it went from that to we were originally going to build you know 49 tiny houses how did you get the idea for the tiny house because that's yeah i I like the idea just in general but yeah uh that seems like a really innovative thing to say look we know that there's a problem with veteran homelessness uh you had that the idea of like putting people up in hotels temporarily but how do you get the idea of the tiny house okay so transitional housing um, is really hard anywhere. A lot of veterans go into, um, will try to go into shelters, but shelters are really bad for a lot of us vets because the rape rate's really high, the killing rate's really high. A lot of them um, are like, fuck it, I'm gonna survive on my own in the tent. It doesn't matter if it's dead or cold or whatever. So we're like, you know what? We need to create some type of housing solution at the time to give an individual's house, his own door, his own bathroom, right? So we're looking at Kansas City schools. Well, that wasn't really effective. Um, somebody on our board had said, Hey, have you guys thought about tiny houses? And um, Chris said, Hey, have you thought about kind of a tiny house? Which kind of hit me. I said, you know what? Like that reminds me a lot of Barrick's lifestyle. Bee huts, conics is a lot of the stuff we lived in. Right. Totally. And so designing the tiny house actually was a whole thought process of how my dorm was set up in, in, in the military, right? The bed in the very back corner, we had a kitchen area. Um, with me, the building background, I needed all the plumbing to be on one side. So that's why you had the bathroom and the kitchen on one side. So you could run all the plumbing in that wall. And that's actually was the thought process behind the tiny house. Um, at that point in time, um, we were working with the city. The city came to us and said, hey, we love what your definition of a veteran is. Would you guys be interested in partnering with us to do a bus pass program? We said, you know what? Absolutely. As long as, again, you serve any veteran. It doesn't matter who served in the military days. I don't care if you're just on discharge or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. So we partnered with them. And we actually, um, Brian and them, they mortgaged their house. And they bought a building. And um, from there, we ran the bus pass program out of this building. So we were starting to get all these veterans that literally nobody's even been able to talk with. You know, they did a point in time count in Kansas City. Then they're like, there's zero homelessness, right? And so everybody was like, oh, homelessness is solved at the same time we're trying to set up a nonprofit for homeless veterans, right? So right, like, right. 
what the hell is wrong with you guys? Yeah. Again, all these veterans started coming in and, and we're able to start like, Hey, where are you getting help at? Nowhere. I don't qualify for services and started like case managing these guys. Right. Hmm. How did you find these people or did they approach you? Was it like your name was out there? The Veterans Community Project was, how, how are you getting the word out about that? Well, again, keep in mind, like during that whole time, we were helping individual veterans that were living in camp. So that on top of, um, we were doing a lot of our own street outreach. So also made us really unique. A lot of nonprofits don't go out and street outreach per se, right? And, and figure mm-hmm. out veterans. On top of that, we were vets ourselves. So when we did go into the streets, we were kind of talking lingo. We could bullshit the bullshit. And so a lot of these guys would open up to us and tell us their story as where you have a lot of civilians that try to do the food in the camps and stuff like that and they don't get anywhere right. uh, you know what i'm saying like i, I get it so they just don't know how to approach that. Yeah. correct it was partially that on top of dude um in obviously the homeless world we're in the veteran game in kansas city they don't have a vehicle dude uh, a three-year bus pass is gold like mm-hmm. really valuable um from there on kind of the same process when that was going on um, we were trying to figure out how to build tiny houses, right? And I was working kind of hand in hand with the city. And the thing they had said is you have to build these tiny houses according to code. Well, looking all over the United States and everywhere, there's nobody that builds tiny houses according to code. Kind of went back to the drawing board and figured it out, right? Um, instead of we used to build these houses on on a prefathom, right? Kind of like a shed setup. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to back to the drawing board and actually build them on a concrete slab. So they have all the, the plumbing underneath of them and uh, build the houses up on site. And during this whole process of all this, you know, engaging the community, it's very important to engage the community. You know, I tell everybody that, dude, the community is a co-founder just as much as I'm a co-founder, right? And so the big thing was engaging the community. So we started out with the first 13 tiny houses. Um, I think we, I know we started framing those actually Christmas Eve. I'll tell you exactly what year. This must have been like 2017, 16, 2017. Yeah, 2017. That was when the first 13. First 13. So yeah, we were framing houses Christmas Eve, uh, 2017. Wow. And um, at that point in time, like I said, I was telling you that uh, we had gotten a small little, I think it was like a $30,000 grant. So all of us quit our jobs, even Brian, the lawyer, right? I tell him like, did you have to be the dumbest lawyer ever? Like who quits their, their law degree job and then comes over and decides to help fucking homeless veterans, you know? Obviously he's a vet himself, but uh, you know, like- yeah, like, dude, like, mad respect for him. You know, I didn't, like, know that much about it at the time, but been like, all right, dude, like, you got balls to quit your job as a lawyer and come work with dudes that, you know, because keep in mind, like, what, I think three out of the five of us were getting VA benefits, right, and VA pay, which allowed us to kind of take that leap of faith and really been like, okay, cool, like, I could still make my mortgage, but, you know, uh, you know, Brian being able to take kind of that leap of faith and been like, all right, fuck it, like, I'm just going to make it happen was just like a whole nother, like, blew my mind thing, right? Yeah, on top of like this whole time, this dude mortgaged his house, right? Using his his law, you know, his his, his law, whatever the heck it is, job as you know, income and stuff for like that. Like, I'm pretty sure if the bank knew, like, they'd have a conniption fit. But but what was cool about that? As soon as we opened that building, backstory, they actually we had a donor come forward and pay that off. Which thank God. But that's nice. Um, yeah. Again, it's about doing the right thing for the community. And dude, yeah. So built these tiny houses. Um, we had such a huge demand and, and stuff from this that, um, we decided, you know what, we need to, um, open up another outreach center, right? The outreach center. We wanted to be able to bring in these vets on top of offer them services, right? So referral services and intakes and kind of the whole nine run the bus pass program out of. So that was in its own lot. So if you'd like kind of look at our, 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 
I guess, area um, or campus, right? You'll see one building that's where we can take a lot of our veterans and stuff like that. Um, and then we're in the process of building tiny houses. So uh, fast forwarding a little bit, dude, this just took off. We had national media reaching out to us. I've uh, been on CNN, USA Today, kind of Time Magazine, all these things. And uh, we've had over 4,000 cities reach out to us and say, holy cow, like we need this, right? And people were trying to figure out how we do it. And because we're completely privately funded, we don't take any government funding. Hmm. And again, we can't take any government funding for the simple fact of um, the limit on who we can and can't help. And so literally right. like, people are like, well, how'd you do it? Like, I was literally going to these Santa Caligon days or affairs and saying, Hey, like we were living off the 25 cents. Right. And then we were just kind of, people believed in us, you know, like we always like laugh about like people, like we were selling snake oil, like that, like literally like, that's what was it. Like, yeah, we have this land. We haven't built any tiny houses yet, but we really need you to donate to us. Cause this is our cool idea. Right. Like, yeah. The next thing you know, like it just started coming in. Right. It just, it just happened. There's, you know, this the right amount of us. So from there, now we have 49 tiny houses on site. Uh, we have a 5,000 foot community center um, that we have healthcare clinic out of there. We have a dental care clinic out of there. We have a pet, uh, veterinary clinic out of there, um, a dog wash out of there. Wow. Um, kind of, you name it. Um, yeah. Kind of like a one-stop shop. On top of that, um, people ask us like, what, what makes you so successful? Well, in our program, we're able to build around the individual's need. Um, we have an eight to one case management ratio. So we have case managers that live I say live, they're there in the village all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's eight to one case management ratio. And we build the program on the individual's needs. So if the individual is homeless due to a money management issue and a drug issue, we can focus on those underlying issues instead of like a government funded agency. That's a one size kind of fits all. That's like right. an eight month program or a 12 month program. Um, and but like, it's not yeah, catered it's to the individual. It's catered to the yeah. individual, right? So we're able to work with the individual and say, hey, okay, these are your underlying issues. We'll get your legal issues taken care of. Let's get custody back of your kids. And then uh, we'll help you with your transition from here into permanent housing, right? And a lot of these guys stay, you know, 14 to 16 months. Well, a lot of programs are only 12 months. As we've seen, you know, in our 14 to 16 months, um, usually they get the 14th month rate everybody we've been able to transition after that 14 months has stayed permanently housed at 96 percent, which is huge yeah um, that's incredible. And a lot of other housing you know it's less than 20 percent, and in some cases 11 percent. Wow. and so to get in the 90 percent range of keeping them and you know permanently housed and them being successful on their own is just huge right so mm -hmm. we're kind of on to something during the same time, you know, uh, I think it was, it was, it was uh, Time Magazine and Young KC did a study together, and it's the only time in history we've been able to bring a homeless population to an area and actually raise the property value. And so that was a really big deal and why a lot of people were also looking at us. Mm. Um, yeah, you mentioned that other cities asked you how they could start their own program. Correct. Have you seen that happen? Have other organizations jumped on your idea or how has it spread? How has that worked? Yeah, Um Sort of. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, we've got a lot of, to me, it's kind of ruined. People are like, hey, all right, we're going to copy your idea. We need your plans right. and we need all your fundraising tactics and we're going to go out and just start this own thing, right? And we're like, all right, like let's, I don't know about that. Like come at me from a different approach because keep in mind, like literally we have our life savings and getting these plans developed and our kind of our idea behind fundraising. Like we were the ones that were just like hustling it, man. Like we didn't take paychecks and here people are like, Hey, pretty much give us money, give us your plans and give us your secrets and we're going to go copy you. Right. Mm -hmm. Which was like, we kind of felt it was a little rude, but anyways, um, we said, you know what, if, if there's this many people interested, then we're going to start doing consulting fees. And we did it like it's $400 an hour. We literally had like over 200 cities saying, cool, we'll pay your $200 consulting fee an hour. Like, 
okay, maybe we should go back to the drawing board and say, okay, like when we're starting to tell these people, they're like, yeah, you know, you got to build these houses according to code. You know, they could run thirty to $50,000 a pop and the infrastructure is $2 million. And oh, by the way, it's just not throwing bets into some housing and saying, here you go, F you figure it out, right? You have to do case management. And on top of that, you know, when you enter the tiny house, everything needs to be brand new so they can take everything with them when they transition out. And these people's minds are blown. They're like, well, we don't have money to do that. And we're like, you're reaching out to us. Like yeah. you're asking us how it's working. Right. And this is what we're doing. Like, right. so it's, yeah. And so, um, well, it sounds like you started with the idea. You knew you had a good idea and you trusted that people would come along and give you that funding. Right. If they could see right. it was we working. Took that leap of faith. Yeah. And it is what it was in, where everybody else is kind of like, how do I see this? I'm sure people are trying to do it for the right good, but a lot of people are like, I just want the publicity on a lot of this instead of putting in the hard work. Like sure. literally, um, you know, I'm very thankful I'm still married to my wife, but like I almost lost my marriage over this. You know what I'm saying? Like it pretty much did lose my marriage over this, but it was everything to me. I, again, I looked at this as my battle buddy that is literally dying in the street, right? Literally mm-hmm. dying in the street. And I owe it to him to save his life and have his back. So I'm willing to throw all that away. I, I hate to say that. And I hope that doesn't piss off a lot of your viewers. But like, I was willing to throw away my family and everything I had to have my battle buddies back. And, mm-hmm. and that's how we were able to create the organization. Because the other five guys were the exact same way. They throw right. away everything for these guys, right? Yeah. And, so and for you guys, it's like, coming from like a passion project. Whereas a lot of people, I think you're right, see it as a publicity project. Yeah. Right? No, so I mean, I dude, that's it, a big difference. I try to explain to people like, dude, if, if a vet's sleeping on the street cold, I'd much rather sleep with him than in mm-hmm. a warm house. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I know if, if the craziest shit's happening, then I know that same dude has my back and, and will, you know, keep me safe from freezing death. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not trying to get too emotional about it, but like, that's, that's mentality. People don't understand that, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's so crazy. I'm curious about the population that you serve because you're a nonprofit uh, doesn't require people to have an honorable discharge. Have you run into uh, issues with veterans who uh, have more problems than you can deal with or uh, any like criminal behavior in the, in the tiny homes or anything like that? So no, um, we get a lot of people that obviously come into our program and, and we give them food boxes or help them with, with clothing. Or like I said, when they come into the outreach center, we start kind of case managing those guys. Hey, where are you staying? What are you doing? Do you need help with food? Hey, do you need a HUD vest voucher? Do you qualify for this program or qualify for that program? We're trying to obviously be, be cognizant of donor dollars and say, hey, okay, let's try to get these guys into all these other programs if we can. If they don't qualify for these programs at that point in time, let's start really looking for our program. So we don't have a lot of people ask us, Hey, do we have a sign up? Do you have a sign up like a uh, process for this? So they're like, no, not really. And they're like, what do you mean? We're like, because here's my thing. I don't want to give you false hope. You signed up to say, I want a tiny house come into here. I'm like, well, I'm going to get a tiny house, screw head bash, screw this other place, you know, where I'm staying or whatever. It's giving them false hope. So we're not going to do that. So like literally we don't do like, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like a, that sort of process, like a sign. Well, it process. sounds like it's a lot more organic, right? Like you're going out and talking to these people right. and, and getting to know them. Before. Come to us, right? Like, all right. And, and same thing, we can assess like, okay, like this 27 year old vet that's sleeping in the car, 
all right, like, well, let's get him help. Let's help him with gas cards in the meantime. But the uh, 85-year-old dude that's literally living in a tent that just ran out of, you know, propane or whatever. So we got to assess those different things. Obviously, this 87-year-old is a lot more vulnerable than the 27-year-old that we can give gas cards and maybe put them up in the hotel during the winter or whatever right. um, and then work with other, you know, nonprofits. Our goal was to never compete, right, with other nonprofits. Like, dude, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm not trying to compete with, with the BFW or United Way. Like, Dude, those are great programs, right? right? Like let's partner together. And that's something that we've really been able to do here at BCP is partner with other nonprofits. So we can really just say, you know what? The best way I explain to people is actually imagine like a wagon wheel, right? We started the wagon wheel and the, mm. the connecting spokes is other nonprofits, right? And being able to really get the veteran on his way, right? So complete that circle for the veteran and really get him going down the road because that's what it takes. It takes the community to have their back to get down the road. Yeah, uh, that's outstanding. I'm curious too about like the the demographics of your population. Would you say you're serving more veterans who are uh, Vietnam vets or global war on terror vets? To be honest with you, I would say it's a good mix of everybody. Um, mm-hmm. We we serve Civil War vets. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but literally, like you know, World War II vets to Vietnam vets to you know, again, even vets that haven't reservist National Guard, uh, there's actually not a lot of programs out there for reservists and National Guard unless mm-hmm. they would, because they don't even get looked at as a veteran. Oh, wow. So getting back to what you're saying, to be honest with you, um, I personally see a lot more younger vets coming in because they're transitioning out and we have these stupid $700 a month car payments. We can't get a house. So we end up on the street. So I see a lot of that mm-hmm. on top of the Vietnam vets that, again, have been homeless for decades and trying to work through a lot of their problems. To be honest with you, a lot of cases, it's just money management. They make good money they just need to learn how to manage their money so working with you know community banks or whatever to be able to help us do the money management stuff get them a little saved up and then help them transition um you know we have individuals and we have families so we have family units as well Mm -hmm. um and so we aren't just helping individuals we're also helping families if i had to do it over again i think i would have built more family units but in a lot of these cases that i see is a lot of these feds struggling with because they get their kids taken away or whatever well they don't have an address so they can never get custody of their kids again so a lot of them are down in the dumps well, dude, we can change a vet's life literally 180 um, just by getting them an address, helping them file for, you know, they want custody of their kids again, helping them get a job, helping them pay off their their back criminal background stuff. And then a complete, again, like 180. Again, mm-hmm. it's just like housing with dignity, doing what it takes. Like, I don't mind spending, you know, $40 to get somebody some gas if the vet needs it to get their job or changing a tire or whatever, like that's what it takes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, On top of that, absolutely. like you don't owe me anything as to where I'm not hating on a lot of nonprofits are like, well, if I'm going to do this for you, you're going to do this for me. It's not like that here, man. You right. know? Yeah. I feel like you can't do something just to get the recognition, right. Or just mm-hmm. to, uh, to get something back. Right. It's got to be that kind of inherent motivation. Yeah. It sounds like you guys mm-hmm. have that in space. How's it with dignity? Totally. So you mentioned you have different floor plans for the tiny houses. Uh, what do those look like? What's like the square footage for the individual versus like a family one? Um, 240 square foot is the individual house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has one bed in there, one bathroom, one kitchen. Um, and so we can do pets in there as well. Um, that was something that was also really unique about VCP uh, uh, is, is we believe that pets are really important to the success for a lot of our veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually one shelter in Kansas City that allows pets in, and it's a woman's battered shelter. So I think the statistic is two to four vets a year on the street actually freeze to death or have strokes trying to, to be with their pet, right? And wow. so we're like, you know, this is very important to us. That's why we have like a veterinary clinic and stuff on site. But totally. um, 240 square feet for the individual unit, the family units will actually technically sleep seven. Um, and they're 320 square feet. So kitchen, wow. they have kind of like a, 
uh, three tier bunk bed set up. They got a pull out sofa and a queen size bed. Um, we haven't had that many. We don't have anybody with like seven kids or anything like that. A lot of cases that maybe a husband and wife with two or three kids, or maybe they're doing uh, shared custody, et cetera. Um, so those are those houses. Um, and something else too that I don't know if I covered when the vets enter the house, uh, everything inside the house is brand new. So the oven's brand new, the refrigerator's brand new, the desk is brand new, the bed, everything. They actually get to take everything with them. Um, except for the heating and cooling unit and the countertops. So we have like granite countertops that got donated and they take everything else with them. So pots, pans, dishes, laptop, everything when they enter the house is brand new. And literally you should see their face when they open the door. They're like, all right, like I'm going to have to return this when I move out. No, like this is yours. yours. So when you transition out, like you have, you have stuff, right? This is yours brand new. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have people that I swear call us sometimes and cuss us out because they're like, well, I want to give you my, my used bed and sheets. And we're like, no, sorry. Like give that to, you know, Salvation Army or whatever. And they're like, no, we want you to take it. We want to support you. I'm like, no, I understand that. But everything's brand new for these guys. And it's hard for sometimes people to get that grasp. And it's like, well, you wanted a brand new. Are you going to take anything used? Well, no, but they're homeless. And I'm like, so you're telling me they're not worth brand new stuff? Like, right, what's your right. rule of thinking here, you know? It probably is shocking for those vets, though. They probably aren't used to that kind of treatment. So when they see these, all this brand new stuff and, oh, this is mine now, it's... It must be really gratifying for them. Oh yeah, no, dude, absolutely. Like I, I think my my favorite saying is is uh, not my saying, the vet saying like I get my own front door. Like, dude, how many of us take for granted? I go through my, I don't even go through my front door. I literally go through my garage every day when I get mm. home. Right, I'm like, wow, like a front door is important. Like he can sleep in back and and peace, you know. Like, and the vets are kind of like for the literally the first month are kind of like, all right, like this is a game show. You're going to take this from me. And we're like, no, like we're not like chill out. We got you for the first kind of month. Like let's figure this out. And then from there we start getting in depth with the case manager and figuring out what it takes to transition. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, well, did they just want to stay there and milk off you guys? Yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, no, because it's like a barrack situation. A lot of these guys are seeing their friends getting these cars and moving out and the whole nine. It's kind of like, well, shit, I want to do that. On top of that, like our program has been so impactful to them and being able to help them that they're like, no, I'm ready to get my next battle buddy. In here, right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it, it really happens. If you get a chance to ever sit down and talk with the vets in the village, like that's really their mentality. And it's just amazing. And, and the, a lot of volunteers that come down and again, help us build these houses to hanging lights to whatever the case may be, they see that, you know, and again, it's the community that builds this, this project. And so that's what's so awesome about this. That's amazing. Speaking of building the project, uh, we're in the new year, 2021. Do you have any goals for the organization this year? Um, you know, to be honest with you, expansion, um, you know, Brian and I kind of like mess around all the time. We're like, we, again, this is, this the hobby for us, right? Now it's turned into a full-time job and it's turned into, we're like, okay, cool. Like can't say he's on its way. We're going to roll out. No. Um, you know, we got a really good friend that's, uh, used to be the former secretary of state, Jason Kander. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, was on his campaign trail and came and saw us. And then uh, a couple months after, um, dealt with some mental health issues, you know, with his law degree and everything else, went to the VA, couldn't even navigate the VA and came back to us and said, look, guys, I really need help. I really need mental health help. I need some help. And um, we got him the help that he needed. Um, from there, you know, about a month after he came back to us and said, dude, you guys literally saved my life. Like, you guys saved my life. He's like, you know, I got these influential contacts from, you know, Obama to you name it, you know, texting me asking if I'm okay. You want to give me the best healthcare. He's all I wanted to do is come back to my battle buddies and you guys are the ones to help me. He's like, I'm going to do this for you guys. He's like, I help grow, you know, another nonprofit, um, which is like the let it vote. And um, I'm going to take this thing nationally. He's like, and Brian and I are like, okay, like that's cool. And he's like, no, like picture me out there again i i'm very educated influential etc and i almost you know unfortunately committed suicide he's like 
there's another me in St. Louis. There's another me in Florida. He's like, we owe it, but we owe it to our battle buddies to go into these other communities and save their life too. And it's like, all right, I'm crying. Like, all right, Jason, like we'll do national expansion. Like, you know, like you had to twist my arm, but no, it's kind of a no brainer and a wake up call. So uh, we're currently in St. Louis. We're currently in Longmont, Colorado. And our goal is to be in eight cities by 2022. Um, and so we're just fundraising, man. We're, we're, we're hustling. I mean, it takes a lot of money to create something like this. Because keep in mind, being privately funded, dude, it is hard. You totally. know, we, we rely on those dollar donations. We rely on those corporations, you know, helping us with money and stuff. So Absolutely. So if anyone is out there listening and wants to get involved and wants to contribute, what's the best way that they could do so? You know, we have a monthly giving program. We have, you know, you can hop on our website, veteranscommunityproject.org. You can make a one-time donation. But my thing is, if you're a vet or somebody listening to this, like, get more involved in that. You know, let's look at, hey, if you know an area that's in a, a major city, you know, on a bus line, stuff like that, know some land, like, let's figure this out to do this together, right? So, again, a lot of different ways to get involved. I just don't want your money. I also want you to get emotionally involved in this and help us build these tiny houses if you're one of our expansion cities. So, again, monthly donor. Um, hop on the website, veteranscanyproject.org, one-time donation to, you know, email us saying, hey, have you thought about this? Hey, have you thought about that? Like, we'd love that. Again, this is a community's nonprofit. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else you wanted to say, like a final shout out to anyone or uh, anything else you wanted to share? No, the big thing is, dude, um, you know, hopefully my story um, inspires somebody else to to hopefully make something cool like this as well. And, you know, um, it's all about having our battle buddies backs. So, you know, again, my story, I felt to kind of never leave anybody behind. It's, it's the truth. It's what happened to me. That's to my point of view and stuff. And, um, you know, I love all of my brothers and sisters, you know, don't ever think about taking on life. Like, dude, we have your back. You're not alone. Like, let's figure this out together. So if any of you guys need somebody to talk to, dude, we're here at Veterans Community Project. Um, I just appreciate your time, man, and, and, and give us a platform to speak on. So absolutely. Thanks for coming on. It's an amazing project. Uh, wish you all the best this year Uh, get out there get uh, in touch with Veterans Community Project Brandon thanks again so much for coming on absolutely thank you sir we are definitely excited about the holistic and integrated services that Veteran Community Project is bringing to Kansas City and the surrounding areas so definitely check them out also check out herohut.com for information on upcoming events and initiatives. And as always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using the handle at herohutorg.